Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, the sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Thanks for joining us this week. we got a full slate here. We're going to talk a little bit about where the Hokies are positioned. Uh, we're going to talk about the ECU game that has passed. We're going to talk about the ODU game that's upcoming. We'll get into the Clemson uh looming matchup that's on the horizon there and then we'll finish it up with our picks andy i want to start before we get to ecu i would like to start with just where the Hokies are uh, they're three and oh and as you were telling me before we even got on the air here that that's kind of a rare place for them i mean it used to be pretty common for them but how long has it been since they went through their non-conference slate unbeaten well it, it's 2011 was the last time they did that. I think uh, Fuente's been telling some of the players it's been since 2006. We were looking it up. It, it's 2011. They went 4-0 against Appalachian State, uh, Arkansas State, East Carolina, and Marshall, Good which case. is, yeah, that's a marshmallowy soft uh, schedule there. Uh, I looked it up. The last time they had an unbeaten record uh, in the non-conference and they had a lot more non-conference games back then because they were in the Big East, and they beat a top 25 team in that year. Uh, it was 2002, and they beat number 14 LSU, number 16 Marshall, and number 19 Texas A&M. So that was quite a quite a schedule they had that year. I, I don't think those teams ended up being that good, but at the time when they played them, uh, that was a pretty challenging thing. So, uh, you know, 15 years since they've, they've had a start where it's, you know, they played some decent competition and they ran the table in the non-conference part. Uh, that'd be quite an accomplishment to get through this month uh, unscathed. I think, you know, a lot of people before the season, myself included, go, well, that West Virginia game could be tough. East Carolina is always one that could trip you up. You never know about that. Uh, who knows with Old Dominion? You know, it's a team that won 10 games last year. I know they're, they're riddled with injuries right now, but uh, they've been feisty in the past. I, I don't think this one's going to be much of a competition this week. But uh, if, if they can get through the first month, the first month of non-conference play before they play Clemson with no hiccups, uh, you know, no speed bumps that they hit, no landmines, whatever uh, analogy you want to use in that particular case, uh, I think that's a that's a pretty good accomplishment. You know, we were talking to Ricky Walker last night. Uh, at interviews, he said that there have been some pretty good Virginia Tech teams over the years that have not been able to do that and get through the, the non-conference season unscathed. So uh, if they do that, I think that's a pretty impressive feat. I think it just makes this weekend a lot better. I mean, could you imagine if Tech was two and one or, you know, two and or one and two or something like that? And you're going, you know, welcoming in ODU. Uh, I don't have to imagine. That's what it's been like the last couple of years. Like, oh, good, Bowling Green's on the schedule, and this is a game that nobody, you know, they just lost to East Carolina or something like that, and they play a game after. It's like, I'm not excited about this. The crowd's not. It's a tepid crowd, uh, to say the least. I think this one does feel a little bit different in that sense. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, you're, you're cheering for a lot of different things. If you're a Tech fan that shows up to this game, I mean, you're cheering for some style points that you move, keep moving up in those polls. You're you're 13th right now in both polls. Is that correct? And, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you're moving up with a bullet, although as, as we've seen, you know, teams can put in poor-looking performances against overmatched teams and, and, and drop, so the Hokies certainly don't want to do that. But it's just – it's a two o'clock start. It's you know it's all those things that uh, early in the season can kind of be blah, but I think they'll be a good 
kind of a festive atmosphere out there uh, because you are playing for a lot of different things now. Well, yeah, especially if you could go out and put up 64 again. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen. I mean, that that's the game where just everything was going right, and uh, you know, East Carolina is a dumpster fire right now. It's you know, for one half, it looked pretty competitive in that game, and then just fell apart uh, on the Pirates, and they showed what they were. Uh, you know, if they could put up a big offensive number, not have another sort of uh, you know, malaise like they did against Delaware a couple weeks ago. I think this could be a very festive atmosphere in a game that the Hokies fans really get behind their team because, you know, honestly, when this team's rolling, it's a very fun team to watch. Yeah. Well, good transition there to the ECU game. We, we were on here last week, and both of us were legitimately wary for the Hokies in terms of them being able to just run away with this. We thing. looked so smart at halftime. We did. We looked like geniuses at halftime. I was cashing that check right then, going up to the, the counter. It's like, can you cash this at the halftime? And they're like, no, there's a second half to be played. And then we looked like idiots after that. It's like betting on a horse and then just watching it get swallowed up on the front stretch. You're like, where is the finish line here? But yeah, our our, our picks were, were wrong there and, and wait, and it turned out to be really wrong at the end when they just ran away with it. Now, there were a lot of questions after the game, like what, what flipped the switch on offense and such? I thought the switch was there offensively the entire game. They were moving the ball even early on. I mean, it didn't look like they were being shut down at all. Yeah, the um, first drive they went I want to say 80 yards, scored a touchdown. Second drive, I think they only got stopped because of a drop on third down. Uh, Sean Savoy, it was maybe a low pass from Jackson under pressure, but probably one Savoy should have caught. Uh, I think they got a field goal in the third possession. It was never a case where, like, East Carolina just completely, like, three and out, they're off the field, and Virginia Tech has to punt. Uh, I think 11 of the 14 possessions in the game, Virginia Tech scored, yeah, uh, including nine straight. Have you ever seen a game where, where the Hokies had scored in nine straight possessions? That's uh, unbelievable. I mean, we t- that's high school stuff. You know, Joey Sly after the game is like, I'm over there kicking and they're just getting back to the, the sideline and taking my helmet off. And all of a sudden I have to go back out there for the extra point again. It's like, what is going on? This is this is unreal. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was ever a point in that game where like ECU really got in Virginia Tech's way defensively. It was, you know, if Virginia Tech didn't score at the end of a drive, it was because they did something wrong along the way. Well, I thought there for a while we were going to get a repeat of the 2015 Independence Bowl, where Tech and Tulsa just traded haymakers all day long, and then it was basically who can get one stop at the end. Uh, that's how it was shaping up early on, and then all of a sudden. Bud Foster's crew just dug in and didn't allow anything. Um, let's talk about the the switch that flipped there because I thought that was uh, pretty pretty mind but I, I, I you know you say have you ever seen a team score nine possessions in a row? I don't know that I've ever seen a team look so you know like a sieve and then just look like a, a, a brick wall uh, just just from one series to the next and then carrying that in out the rest of the way for three quarters. Well, I, I've seen it, and it's been at East Carolina with Virginia Tech before. I, I think it was that 15 to 10 game in uh, was it 2012. I can't remember the season, the year that it was. Uh, Carolina went down the field on the first drive. East Carolina went down the field on the first drive and just scored right away. It's like, whoa, what was that? And then the rest of the game, they just did absolutely nothing. Uh, so that was sort of the case with this. I mean. Uh, East Carolina, I don't know if they surprised them. I mean, they had the backup quarterback at the start of the game, although it's not like he's much uh, of a different player from Thomas Cirk. Uh That first drive, they went straight down the field, and it's like, did the Hokies you know, watch any film on this team all week? Second drive, they, uh, 
I think it was the second drive they scored on that uh, long touchdown pass. It was a 76-yarder where uh, I forget the coverage that, that Bud Foster was saying, but it, you know Reggie Floyd had a deep quarter of the field that he was supposed to be covering and got there late. Uh, Stroman released on the receiver like he was supposed to do, apparently, in the defense, and uh, Floyd just didn't cover that area of the field and uh, you know dove to try to make a play, missed it, uh, receiver catches it, he's off to the race, 76-yard touchdown. Uh, after the first quarter, East Carolina had four yards in the second quarter, uh, 77 for the rest of the game, and, and a lot of that was sort of in you know junk time at the very end there. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly uh, flipped on this defense. I mean, I, I know they inserted Divine Diablo at safety because he's got a little bit better uh, coverage ability than, than Reggie Floyd does. Uh, they, they didn't allow anything on the ground. Even when they were giving up points early in the game, they didn't allow anything on the ground, really. Yeah. Uh, and that's always the key with Bud Foster is, you know, you shut down the ground game. Uh, it makes the team one-dimensional. You know when they're going to throw. When that's the case, you can do a lot of things when in terms of bringing pressures or coverages or mixing things up. And uh, I think more than anything, they just kind of settled down. I don't know if it was like these huge adjustments in the game plan. I think they just stuck to it. They kept doing what they were doing and, and put East Carolina behind the chains and – you know, when it's predictable that a team is going to throw the ball, it's a lot easier to stop it. Well, that quarterback looked like Tom Brady early. I mean, he looked he was throwing it all over the lot, and, you know, everything he was throwing was being caught. I think he was like, you know, eight for nine or something ridiculous early on. And, and then it, after, you know, later he just looked like he kind of thought he was going to look, which was erratic. If you turned on the, the game in the first quarter and then turned it off, then turned it on the third quarter, you would have thought it was like completely different seasons that this game was being played. Like it, it was it was to the point where ECU could not even like move the ball forward in the third quarter. And whenever the, the quarterback dropped back, they have a guy right in his face and he throws it 15 yards short of the receiver or, or gets picked off. I mean, it was, it was that stark, the turnaround in the game they had. And, uh, you know, I, I think there have been two quarters – in uh, Virginia Tech history, or at least since 1987, that's you know sort of the uh, the point that the record search online goes back in Virginia Tech's website that they've scored more points in a quarter. They've scored 35 twice. They had 34 in this one because they went for two uh, on an early touchdown, didn't get it. Uh, that was one of the most dominating quarters I've seen in person uh, at any time that I've been covering college football. Yeah, it was impressive. And what the upshot of all of it was was a very sad scene in Greenville in the, at the end. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was it was uh, empty. I feel bad for those fans because I don't really like that town very much. I mean, it kind of feels like northern Virginia or something and that you're always hitting a red light or something. But it's hard to kind of drive around that town. But – to be fair, you're judging this just on the drive into the town. We never stay in Greenville because we can never get a hotel down there. I think if you went to like downtown Greenville, you might enjoy the town. That's fair. I don't really want to bash the town. What I want to do is praise their fans in general and say that they deserve better. Like that, I mean, can you imagine being a fan of that team and what they've given you, what they gave you under Ruffin McNeil compared to what they gave you on Saturday is just as stark as can be. It's amazing how much that administration sort of pulled the rug out from the, the, I mean, you know, I know they struggled one year at the end under Ralph and McNeil. And, you know, a lot of these guys are his guys that are still there. I don't know if it's really a personnel problem as much as it, it just looked like they weren't going in the right direction. You know, uh, you know, how, how many times they give Cam Phillips like a 20 yard cushion off the line. He's like, okay, I'll just run a 10 yard out. It's wide open. It's like a handoff yeah. for Josh Jackson and him. Uh, I mean, if, I'm wondering what they're going to do there. 
I mean, how, how much longer can they let Scotty Montgomery go as coach if it's this disastrous out there? Yeah. And, and they've already thrown one guy overboard. They, they removed the Yark. defensive coordinator. Yeah, that was a nice pirate pun there. Uh, removed the defensive coordinator. You've already kind of removed a scapegoat there. Uh, you know, not a savvy head coaching move there. If you're head coach, you maybe wait to the end of the year and then do it. Be like, well, we made these changes for the next season. Let's see if they take root. Uh, you know, he's running out of people to blame down there. Uh, yeah, it, it's rough. I mean, that, that place wasn't full when it started. It was, it was more full than I thought it might be for that game. But by the end, it was definitely empty. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say there were more Virginia Tech fans, but they were definitely a lot louder than the glum East Carolina fans there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you mentioned Jackson and Phillips, that connection there. I ended up writing about Phillips uh, just because I wanted to do something a little more micro than just you know, what you were writing, which was, wow, what a what a switch they flipped and all that. But Phillips has been amazing so far this year. He's already got more than 400 receiving yards. Jackson, He's leading the country in receiving yards. Yeah. And is you, really? Have you ever said that about a Virginia Tech receiver? I did leading not know the country. that. That's amazing. He's number one in receiving yards with 417. Uh, he's tied for second with David Sills from West Virginia in touchdown receptions with five. Okay. And he's already matched a career high with five touchdowns. That – connection is has been as good as virginia tech obviously could have helped uh what are you seeing with those two players i mean why why for one why is and i tried to get into this with my column i mean against ecu it looked like it's just bad schematics there that we're allowing phillips to get open but why is phillips able to make this many plays when everyone knows he is uh the top receiving threat on the team well he's pretty good for starters yeah um I kind of thought that East Carolina would double him more in that game or do some kind of unique coverage. You know, I think we asked Josh Jackson. He's like, teams haven't bracketed him or done any kind of unique coverages to try to slow him down. Uh, we said, are you surprised by that? He's like, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'll keep throwing to him if he's open. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Phillips is a very good receiver. I think it helps that uh, there are not a lot of other proven targets in that receiving core. In the, in the sense that they're going to throw to him a lot. He's going to be the featured guy a lot. I think uh, if this were Isaiah Ford in this offense, and only Isaiah Ford, he would be getting targeted this often. Uh, but because it's it's not Ford and Hodges and Phillips like it was in the past, you know, a lot of the, the primary throws are going to, to Cam Phillips. I also think, you know, Jackson seems like a very good technician when he's passing the ball. It's not like, oh, he's got this rocket arm, or oh, he's got the... the, the uh, crazy mobility that he can make plays happen. He's not those kind of guys that Virginia Tech has had in the backfield before, but he's just smart with the ball. Uh, he knows where he wants to go with it. He's confident when he goes there. It just seems like uh, you know, he and, and Phillips are just sort of these technicians going to work against these defenses that, okay, give us the 20-yard out, we'll stop your 20 yards of, of cushion, we'll stop 10 yards on an out pattern, and he's wide open. Uh, you know, Cam works the, the field and is open on a slant. Uh, he's got the capability to make a go up and make a, a play over a defensive back in the end zone. And, and Jackson is smart enough to recognize that and put the ball where it needs to be. Uh, you know, I was going through the history of uh, quarterback receiver combinations at Virginia Tech, and uh, this is shaping up to be one of the better ones that they've had. Uh, you know, I was trying to think of guys. You know, I, I think the most electric combination was Vic to Andre Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he averaged 27 yards a carry that season, uh, or, or a reception. Yeah. Uh, he only had 35 catches that year, though. I mean, Phillips has 
Uh, I don't even know what the total is right now, but he's going to have that by week six at at least. He might uh, be well on his way at this point. Uh, It's just a very – He might have exactly 29. Does he have 29? Okay. He He, had 14, and I think he had seven and eight. I think that's – Okay, yeah, that sounds right. So, yeah, he's almost there already, and it's been three games. Uh, I I just think this is sort of a a quarterback-receiver combination that you have – if you haven't – have not seen it at Virginia Tech. It's been a very long time, or it's something that that you know is before my memory of, of how Virginia Tech is operated. Maybe that Druckenmiller back in the day there, or something like that. But uh, you know, I, th- I think Hokies fans have to be very pleased that they have sort of a, a modern, capable offense now that can take advantage of those kind of uh, skilled players. Well, and I asked Fuente about Phillips and just sort of what you know, how is he still able to get open? And he he had a pretty interesting answer. I thought he said. He said, well, for one thing, he's got great short area quickness, which allows you to run him in various routes. But also, he sees the field. Like, you you think of Phillips, and just if you just looked at Phillips, and you see the flashy sunglasses and the, the diamond or cubic zirconian earring, whatever it is, and the, and the, you know, the garish jackets that he wears, you'd say, well, there's your typical wide receiver diva or whatever. But he's he's not. I mean, he sees everything. And, and he comes back to Fuente, and he says – Here's what I see, and Fuente says, uh, or Kernelson, and they say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do with you. And often, Fuente said, the other ten players in the office don't even know, well, other than you know, other than Jackson, like what he's talking about, what they're seeing, and what little things they're developing in game based on how the defense is operating. That's that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, makes him a good fit for Fuente's system. And Jackson, to your point about him being a technician, I have not seen very many throws at all this season that could have been intercepted. No. no. Barring a tip He's pass. very smart with it. He's been fantastic. Um, he's been everything they could have wanted out of him. Eight to nothing in terms of touchdowns to interceptions. Um, you know, I, I, you go back, I guess, through the film and try to find a, a pass that should have been picked and wasn't, but I don't think you're going to find many of them. No. Uh, you know, I did some uh... – you know, extrapolating, you know, when you, you go, oh, he's on pace for this. And I know that's a dangerous thing to do after three games and two of the opponents haven't been all too great. This is the numbers that Jackson and Phillips are on pace for right now at the quarter of the season. Uh, Phillips, 117 catches, 1,807 yards. And I think I had the touchdown figure wrong when I, when I did this. I think it should be 20 touchdowns. Uh, that he's on pace for. Jackson on pace for 3,592 passing yards and 35 touchdowns. Uh, all that would obviously be school records. Receiving-wise, it would be school records passing-wise. And I know the competition ramps up here, so it's not like, oh, they're going to keep this pace throughout the season. But uh, to start the year, you've not seen Virginia Tech put up that kind of passing numbers before. Uh, And when you come into the season, and I think – uh, from an outside perspective, at least, I think Fuente obviously had a better idea. That's why he kept telling us that he's not that worried about the quarterback position. But the big question about this offense was who's going to step in there and replace the kind of production that Gerard Evans had. So, well, Jackson's doing a pretty good job so far, and Phillips is being a pretty good number one receiver. Uh, that has to make Hokies fans feel a, a lot more comfortable about the direction of this offense and how capable it is. Well, you went under a thousand receiving yards. So stupid. But no, I mean, I think so that, stupid. I think that speaks to kind of what we were thinking going into the year, which is, you know, look, he, yeah, he's their best receiver, but everyone knows that, and so we will see, like you said earlier, we'll see if there's some different coverages played or you know some you know, extra men brought over to help uh, help stop him. If people actually crowd him on the line of scrimmage instead of standing twenty yards away, all those things we'll 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 see in time. But 
did did you think that this offense had this gear that they could get to that point that they're scoring at will on a team uh, with this personnel at this stage? No, I think that's the most impressive part I, I've seen of the Hokies so far. Is I didn't think they could get to this point where they could just overwhelm a team like they did uh, the other day. I think they 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 were going to be decent, but I think the whole thought was. They're going to be figuring this thing out as they go. And they might still be doing that. And ECU might be that bad. A team that's still figuring it out could, could run it up like that. But, uh, I mean, there were times out there where I was like, they just can't even stop this offense. And they gassed them. I mean, they, they ran 95 plays. I think it's tied for the most in a regulation game that Virginia Tech's ever had. Uh, they ran 100 in a, that uh, four-overtime game, I think, against Duke. I think it was the Duke game where they ran 100 a couple years ago. Um, it's just, it, it's been impressive how they've gone out and operated on offense. Cause that was such a question mark coming into the season. Yeah. On a, on a less happy note, I guess for tech fans, Adonis Alexander defensive back didn't travel with the team. Uh, I guess they're not technically calling it a suspension, but that's uh, for all intents and purposes, what it is. Uh, what's his status. Do you think he's going to play this week or, uh, well, we asked Bud yesterday if they expect to have him. He said, I don't think so. No. Uh, so that's not explicitly saying they're not going to have him this week, but it's as close as you see you can get to it. Uh, ACC teleconferences today, maybe Fuente will comment on that. I'm not sure. Uh, so it sounds like it was a two-week deal. I don't know exactly the reason for the suspension. I know people are going to, uh, you know, go out there and, and have their theories and you know rumors and all that sort of stuff. I'm not going to get into that kind of stuff. I, I will say that, you know, he's had a suspension before. And the fact that he's still on the team and still practicing right now would tell me that it's nothing ridiculously serious. I, I have to imagine it was something uh, very, very serious that he probably would not be on the team right now uh, since he already had that previous second chance before. So uh, we'll see where this goes. I would imagine they would have him against Clemson. Uh, you know, that kind of works out well for the Hokies if they have to sit him down for two games, if it would be ECU and ODU. Uh, but yeah, I would imagine he'd be out there on Clemson, uh, and if he's not, then it maybe it's more serious than I thought. Okay. Well, Adonis might not play this week, but guess who might? Who is that, Aaron? I don't know what you heard about me. That's right. It's time for the Pimpleton Minute. The game allowed for some field goggle usage you stopped watch you stopped like right into the fourth quarter like, i'm just gonna watch stuff i'm gonna watch pimpleton for the pimpleton minute and here's, so re- report back what you saw here's what i saw and i want to note this thing first because i i did not see this before but when he's out on the field he does not velcro up his gloves he leaves them unstrapped or at least he did in this game this he, is the kind of insight to Khalil Pimpleton that you only get on the Hokies Press Pass podcast. He is that confident of a player in his hands and in his abilities, and he should be. I mean, he's that good. Uh, now, he did not catch a pass, although he did make a beautiful block. And I'm not even making this up. I'm not exaggerating. A beautiful block that sprung a nice run. So those are what those are things that I know the coach is going to see on on film and say – that's what I want out of you. I need I need things when you don't have the ball in your hands, jitterbugging it up around, waterbugging it. I need you spitfire. <laughs> I need you doing these kinds of dirty work type of things if you want playing time. And he's given that. He, he's he's doing it. I hope that you pay this close attention to every Khalil Pimpleton moment on the field. Well, I learned might get some this week again if they, if the score is lopsided. I learned something this week that I guess you probably already knew. 
but I didn't know this. Justin Fuente has a rule that you cannot talk to a player unless they're in the top two on, on the two deep. Uh, he doesn't want uh, people who haven't reached the two deep uh, representing the program with the media. I learned that from trying to talk to Coleman Fox, who is a uh, Salem guy who got it. I thought, what did you did you watch any of the? Fo- I mean, were you watching at the end of the game or you a were little bit? Re- I, I Coleman Fox actually looked real, and, and I know uh, you know it was against second stringers, third stringers, who knows? But he actually looked really good out there, and he's not some walk on guy. I mean, he was a scholarship player who was a top hundred running back coming in but anyway uh i was denied my request to talk to coleman fox and that means i would also it's ridiculous be, by the way uh, well, it's a yeah. ridiculous policy i, I think I, i've long believed that some of the best stories are not on the too deep you know some of the best especially exactly. especially weeks like this um and you have a local guy who scores his first touch first of all that too deep isn't like you know etched in stone that yeah. we that we get like you know they have two running backs listed they've obviously you know, deshaun mccleese is not on the too deep technically uh, we have spoken to him, so it's not a hard and fast rule. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Second of all, some of these guys are plenty capable of talking. Dalton Keene, for example, we talked to him this week. He was great. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't quite understand the restriction on him until week four of the season is the first time we talked to him. Yeah. No, nobody cares. Nobody no, no, cares. No, my point of bringing that up was only that I can't request Khalil Pimpleton at this time. Oh, uh, we've requested him before. Well, it's been it's been denied yeah. every single time. <laughs> Eventually, and I'm hoping he gets in that official two deep, and, and I'll be uh, until that happens. I'll just have to get out the field goggles and watch him as closely as I can. So that's what I'm going to do with that. Moving on, uh, you did mention Dalton Keene. Let's get into your you 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 had a feature on him this week. So I guess he's got a nickname. You want to tell us what that is? It it's nice every now and then when you get a feature where you're going through it. You're like, I just have too much stuff to get into That's this this feature story. Uh, there were many ways to go with this uh, story. Uh, I had a direction I was going to go after talking to his dad, Wes Keen, who is uh, Charlie Wiles' roommate at Murray State. Could you imagine being Charlie Wiles' roommate in college? I would love that it. would be great. How many his co- chip cups would his we have? His position later coach, on? the linebackers coach, was Bud Foster. The head coach for Murray State at the time was Frank Beamer. So you know, this is a uh, family connection that goes way back uh, for the Keens. Uh, so I was going to start it out with you know the the you know Charlie being his roommate and, and that thing, and then Bud comes out yesterday and he's like, "Hey, I've got a little story for you about Dalton." And we're like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, as soon as Bud said that, we just knew it was going to be good. And he's like, well, Wes and, and his family were with Charlie, and they came out to Claytor Lake. You know, Bud was hosting them. This was probably 13, 14 years ago. He said Dalton Keene was not yet five years old at the time. And they were out in the lake, and they were getting to, like, they were throwing the kids off the boat into the lake. And he said that Dalton's dad, Wes, threw him, you know, kind of awkwardly, maybe a little too high, and he kind of flipped around and belly flopped into the water. And Bud's like, boy, I'll tell you, he came up screaming bloody murder. He bounced out of that water screaming bloody murder. He's like, I don't know if I've ever seen a woman, is, is, is Stacy, Wes's wife, beat a man as badly as that. It's like apparently she got very upset at her husband for throwing him awkwardly into the water like that. Uh, so I kind of used that. Just like, well, he was tough at a young age and he's tough now. Uh, but, I mean, there was that. Uh, you know, there was the connect, the roommate connection. Uh, you know, Josh Jackson said his nickname is Rambo, which if you look at him, he's got like long hair. He had like a mustache in the preseason. He was wearing a little bandana in the, the photo day picture. 
Uh, there was that. He's from Colorado, which is kind of unique. So he was a snowboarder, which he's had to give up because he, uh, he said, he, I think this is a direct quote, I don't make the best decisions when I'm on a snowboard. I think his dad described him as being a little, uh, having a little Sean White in him when he's on a scoreboard. I think he broke his wrist one year or something. Uh, so before his senior season of football, they're like, how about we give up the, the snowboarding at this point? So a uh, lot of interesting things to talk with it. It was tough to cram it all into one story. It was probably too long when I filed the story. I'm sure the editors weren't pleased about that. But, you know, people want to read about Virginia Tech football. They'll read a, a story. It was a good story. And I hope I hope editor Steve Hemphill didn't actually read it too closely. If he finds out he's from Colorado, then we're going to have nothing but Dalton Keene stories. Oh, he did. It. When I, I sent it to him, he said, well, just mention that Littleton is a suburb of Denver. Nobody's going to know where it is otherwise. Well, there you go. So I mentioned, always it. I mentioned it was a He's always good with the Colorado yeah. factoids. He really is. All right. Before we get to ODU, uh, it was announced <laughs> this week that the Clemson-Virginia Tech game will be a night game. Are you looking ahead? I am looking ahead. Are you not trying to go 1-0 and right I, now? I need to focus. Do you not have tunnel vision? Blinders. Did you, yeah, blinders. Did you see that this week that the – they had like a little graphic on a video board in the, the building that was like the Lane Stadium tunnel that had an ODU logo at the end of it. <laughs> it was literally tunnel vision to ODU. It was like the uh, – I mentioned in my, my notes thing today. There was like the jump to conclusions maps <laughs> <laughs> office space. Horrible, this idea. They were getting the ideas from the Tom Smykowski playbook here on, on how to motivate. <laughs> well – that is a night game. What, 8 o'clock? Is it 8 o'clock? 8 o'clock ABC. And uh, Damian Salas, the, the, who does the, the website at Virginia Tech, very good in-house stuff that they do with stats and stuff. I think he said this is the first 8 p.m. ABC game that they've had in Lane Stadium. Ever? Yeah. I mean, they've, they've had night games. They've been on ABC before. I don't think they've been in this time slot uh, on this channel. Okay. seems like a lot of the big ones have been Thursday nighters. Thursday nights, you know, I think uh, Saturday nights, maybe not an ABC game, would be an ESPN or something like that. But ABC, like, you know, this is this is big time. This is the TV slot of the week. Uh, I mean, I've been waiting for a game like this at Lane Stadium for a while. Uh, the last time two top 15 teams where one was in the top five was the Matt Ryan game in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh Obviously not a great memory for Hokies fans. Last time they had two top 15 teams in Lane Stadium, uh, Clemson, Virginia Tech in 2011. They lost that game 23-3. Also not a great memory. So I think Hokies fans would like a better memory of a, of a sort of marquee matchup here. Well, Tech will carry a 3-1 and one record into that matchup. Just kidding. They might get game day. I know. That, I was going to ask you. That's what everyone wants to know. Is game day going to be here if, if Tech's 4-0 and, and, and Clemson's 4-0? I think it has to be. I, I'm looking at the schedule. I think they got a big break by the fact that USC is playing at Washington State uh, this uh, next week. And Washington State still has this quirky thing where, like, they, a, a Washington State flag has flown at game day in, like, a, almost 200 straight weeks. Like, it's like a thing that they transport a flag there to make sure it's in the background flying. Sounds and, like a waste of time. Yeah, but that's pretty dedicated. That's sort of the, like, dumb college thing that a show like this would reward by going to the site. They haven't been to Pullman <laughs> in a long time. I don't know if ever. Uh, certainly not since the streak began. Uh, but USC is playing Washington State on Friday night. So it doesn't really do you any good to do a Saturday show there if the game is on Friday night. Uh, the rest of the schedule, there's just nothing uh, I mean, Tennessee, Georgia could have been something, but Tennessee lost last week. Uh, Auburn, Mississippi State, I think, is that week. I don't know if that's going to get anything. How about Maryland, Central Florida? 
pretty good one. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to get right. it. Alabama's playing Ole Miss, and historically that would be a really good game, but Ole Miss uh, kind of stinks this year. I mean, between ranked teams, this is the matchup. Uh, they have not been – this is kind of remarkable, too. College game day, like the whole shebang, like Herb Street, Corso, the whole crew, has not been to Blacksburg for games since the ECU game in 2007, the opener. And obviously that's you know somber day. Right. It's not like a college game day atmosphere. And, uh, they had a college game day – or college uh, football live show a couple years ago, but that was like – that was not the game day crew. That's not they what, went to the Battle of Bristol. But yeah, they went to the Battle of Bristol. That's not on site. They've, they've covered a couple neutral site games. I think they were – that Alabama game uh, in Atlanta a couple years ago. But I mean, think about that. Ten years since they've been to Blacksburg for a game. And this was a show that really you know, got helped early on. You remember the whole game day for Frank thing when he was uh, re- retiring? And, uh, you know, this was uh, a program that sort of helped put that show on the map and embrace the, the culture of the show early on. Uh, if I had to say, I would say it's a 98% chance that they're going to they're gonna come here. They did some something weird this week. They're in Manhattan. They went to Times Square, uh, you know, that mecca of college football, Times Square. Could, could you imagine walking around Times Square and asking anybody if they know anything about college football? It might be like holding the ACC basketball tournament in Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly. Poor idea. Uh, so I think they, they obviously have to get back to like a, a big on-campus site next week. I don't think they do something like go to a, an FCS, you know, North Dakota State or something like that. Uh, I, I think it, it's – I'm not going to say it's guaranteed, but I think it's almost a, a lock that they come to Blacksburg. I'm reporting it's guaranteed. Yeah, I'm saying 98% from Andy better is just close to guaranteed. I'd up at the, possibly... up at the 99%. Okay. I'd, yeah, be, I'd be shocked if they didn't come to Blacksburg next week. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that could happen is if Tech lost to ODU or, or Boston College knocked off Clemson. That might do it. But I don't think either, either is going to do it. Even then, I mean, I think Virginia Tech would still be ranked. You know, they, they did. They were at the Clemson Louisville game last week, so, but they, they did Tennessee three times in a span of five weeks last year. So, it, I think all signs are pointed to this probably being the game day. And, so. and Clemson has done nothing but impress. I mean, to, to win that game the way they did against Louisville, when both of us liked Louisville in that game. Um, Another stupid prediction. I hope nobody's actually taking our predictions and, and like, I'm going to bet this. <laughs> Because it's not working out well for you. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. You need to be sponsored by Wells Fargo, as Napa would say, because people got to take out second mortgages to, to bet our picks. All right, let's let's talk about ODU. Maybe not so much the matchup itself. You've been impressed with that program and sort of how it's um, developed in, in such a short amount of time. Tell us about that. What do you think of ODU as a program? You know, I talked to Bobby Wilder yesterday, and I'm writing a story uh, tomorrow just sort of about the rise of ODU as a program. And he described the program, and, you know, this is the coach talking about his own program. He's like, the most successful startup that there's been. And it's true. I mean, nine years, you look at what they've done. Wilder is 69 and 31 uh, as a coach, now in his fifth year. This is a program that first two years went 9 and 2, 8 and 3 is an FCS independent. 10 and 3, 11 and 2 the next two years once they got to the CAA. Uh, then they start transitioning up to the next level. Uh, the fourth, I'm not, sorry, third year as a full member of the FBS, they go 10 and three, win a bowl game. Uh, that's impressive. I mean, that, that's a really impressive job. And I know that they've been, you know, really hit by injuries this year. It's going to be a struggle to get to a bowl game this year. It's a struggle to be competitive, I think. But to do what they've done in such a short period of time, I think it's just, it's remarkable. And, you know, I think Justin Fuente and, 
the coaches at Virginia Tech, obviously Zon Burden, who coached down there previously, I think they're very impressed by what the program does. Now, I'm not saying they're going to come out this week uh, and be competitive with Virginia Tech or be competitive with them on the recruiting trail. There's, you know, Wilder said this a couple times when I was talking to him. There's a lane that they are in as a program, and they understand that. They understand that they have to recruit a different kind of guy that's not going to get the kind of uh, major offers that, that that most programs are going to have out there, but uh, there is a spot to be successful uh, on the lower end of the FBS, and I think they found it right now, and that is pretty impressive so far. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the lane that Wilder's referencing there. I think we saw it last week. They're playing a, a North Carolina team that's not really all that great, and uh, you know the Tar Heels kind of had their way with with ODU. So I mean, they're still a gap there between the two programs for sure. Um, what do you think the crowd representation will be like in Blacksburg? I mean, you think ODU is going to bring a ton of people here? Or? I don't know about a ton. That's a long way to go to, to watch a team probably take a pretty good beating. Uh, you know, Weiler said this is the best team that they've played by far. Uh, he said it wasn't even a question. So uh, I don't know if many people make the trip for that reason, although I, I think there are a lot of, ODU fans that might be Virginia Tech fans too that would want to be you know come out to see a game at Lane Stadium see their team play their other team uh, so I, I think it could be a decent showing but you know that is a long trip I mean you're talking five five and a half hours uh, from the beach might be tough to do in that sense I have a quote here from David Teal that he said to me um, from Wilder this is from a couple weeks ago when he was talking about uh, how to how to combat did you you got this email too right from from teal about, about the gambling oh uh, yeah yeah it, the the subject line is amax new man crush because he knows i'm a big obviously a big gambling fan here's what he had to say when he was talking about whether you know odu should punt attempt a field goal or go for it in certain games when they're big underdogs here's here's the quote the analytics start with the vegas line i can't believe i'm saying this as a college football coach but they start with the line. And the more of an underdog you are, the more aggressive that you want to be. Do not be conservative when you're an underdog because you have to do something in the course of the game to change the game. And it always goes back to momentum. You have to do something to create momentum. Now, when you're at home, hopefully your crowd's into it, blah, blah, blah. But he's talking about at the end here, he says, um, we have to do something to disrupt the flow of the game. Somehow you've got to steal a possession. Whatever the line is that you're down, that's how many possessions you have to steal to be successful. So if we're a seven point underdog, we've got to steal at least one possession. If you're a two touchdown underdog, you got to figure out a way to steal two. That is a fantastic quote. And I also, I think it raises a good discussion. You know, where he says, I don't, I, I can't believe I'm saying this as a college football coach. I think every college football coach should think like that. And if they're not mentioning lines to their players, like in situations like this, like, you know, where tech, even in, Text case, Fuente should say, "Hey, we're twenty-seven point favorites. We need to we need to play like that, and we need to blow these guys off the field." And that's the way you need to think. And I, and I know a lot of coaches think the opposite, or at least they publicly say the opposite. Well, it's zero, you know, it's zero zero at the start of the game. No, it isn't. You know, you're 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 big dog for a reason. Gambling is illegal in the NCAA. <laughs> I don't know if you realize this. There are several campaigns that you're not supposed to bet on it. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know if we should even be talking. No, I, I agree uh, with your point. Uh, sometimes I think the you know both teams have an equal chance of winning this game at any given Saturday. Sometimes I just I feel like that is goes in one ear and out the other with a lot of these players because they've heard it so often. So 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, this one's interesting. You mentioned 27-point favorites. They're going to have to steal four possessions right. uh, just to be even uh, in this game. That's a tall task. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Fuente was mentioning one of the big, you know, ODU returned a kickoff for a touchdown last week. So it's like, that's something we have to be wary of. It's like, well, that's also the biggest threat neutralizer that you have is Joey Sly kicking out of the end zone every time. So there's one thing you probably don't have to worry about with ODU. Uh, best receivers out for the year with an injury. Uh, one of their top running backs sounds like he's out for the year with an injury. They're starting a 17-year-old freshman quarterback, mm. uh, Steve Williams. Steven Williams, I, I can't remember exactly what he goes by for his name. Uh, high school teammate of Sean Savoy, uh, so they know each other pretty well. Uh, he was inserted into the North Carolina game. It sounds like he's going to be the guy going forward, but that is a tough spot to go into. I'd say so. Uh, on the road, toughest team they've ever faced. Bud Foster defense, you're a 17-year-old freshman. I mean, it's just I cannot envision a scenario where this is going to be a very close competitive game. Well, going back to the line thing, because I, you know, obviously I want to talk about it, but like I think that's a good motivator too. Like, like think about that ECU game, right? If if the Tech players have been informed that they are what were they 20 they, by by kickoff they were like 27 point favorites. Uh, you know, like, look, if we're if we're going to exceed expectations of, of the public here, we got to win by more than 27. That's what that's what I would tell my players. Um, and, and it keeps you in. If you're in, on the ECU sideline, hey, you know, we're supposed to lose by 27. Let, let's lose by fewer if we're going to lose, because, look, you know, there's a motivating factor in the second half that you've. You've made a bunch of golden hokies tear up their tickets. I think you know how coaches think, though. It's 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 win or lose. It's black or white. It's not whether you meet expectations in a game. You would be an interesting college football coach. I could see you on the coaching the game of your life in the fourth quarter of the side. <laughs> we gotta cover this twenty-seven point line, guys. Come on, oh, gamblers would love me. They would love betting my team. You would be kicked would... out of the NCAA so fast. I'm going for two in bizarre situations and kicking field goals that make no sense. Vegas is constantly <laughs> like a lot of red flags in the coaching <laughs> in this game. Uh, I think we're going to take this one off the board. Okay, well, we've got the line for this game. It is 27 and a half. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how Wilder tries to steal possessions. Like you said, he's limited there in ways he can do it. But um, which way are you going? What's your final score? What do you think? Um, I'm going to say 48 to 13. And I think the backups might get in for Virginia Tech quite a bit. I, I, I'm going to take the over, even though I want to caution. I think this is a game where Virginia Tech probably could pick the final score. And therefore, you don't know if they're going to go above and beyond to, to run it up or really, really show a lot. I mean, it, there's obviously a huge game next week. I would imagine if they can get by being as basic as they can and not showing Clemson a single thing on film, they would do that. Yeah. Uh, I just think that they're probably so much better than ODU right now that they could do very basic stuff uh, and still run away with it. I don't think they got extremely complex against ECU, and ECU just was such a disaster that they, they were just running straight through these guys. Uh, so I, I think you could see some of that this week, uh, but I with these huge lines, you just never know if it's going to be an all-out effort throughout the entire game. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say 40 to 17, which would have ODU covering just by a little bit. And and Teal's right. This guy's my man crush. He's going to try to keep it keep it under 27 and a half. He'll be fighting for my pocketbook if I if I were to take ODU. So I and I just kind of think there is. Uh, the, there's the look ahead factor. There's the you know two o'clock on a Saturday kind of factor. It's just there's a lot of 
things that say, well, maybe they just won't be as sharp as, as they were last week. Who knows? Um, I think there was more, probably more of a sense of danger with ECU, just given the history between the programs, than, than there is this week. But for that very reason, that's why this could possibly pop up to be more of an issue or more of a problem than people think going into the game. Because you're not thinking about that going into the game. Right, right. Well, usually we end on this, but I skipped over the polls. Uh, let's let's give give us a quick uh, oh, yeah. poll update. Got you. some good feedback from fans <laughs> this week. Vanderbilt fans not exactly pleased with me because I still had – I did not feel good about having LSU at number 25 after yeah, getting run was, off the what field. Was that? You know what? In hindsight, in hindsight, I think I would probably not have ranked LSU or kept them in the polls. Uh, I will say this. I would not have had Vanderbilt as my next team in. So I think I probably should have given San Diego State a little bit more thought uh, then I but did you on that. Your beauty sleep, according yeah, to the commenter. People get very personal very quick with some of these. Yeah, you didn't include San Diego State. Why don't you start, try staying up late one time? I know you need your beauty sleep. It's like my goodness, you go to the personal insults very quick. Had a Vanderbilt fan said that I should apologize or resign or both. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, uh, he sent that to several people who had LSU still ranked ahead of Vanderbilt. Honestly, I still think LSU is a better team than Vanderbilt at this time. Play somebody. You know, they play Alabama this week. Uh, we'll see if they're for real. Uh, Mississippi State was probably the biggest mover, and I don't think I moved them up enough. I had them unranked and brought them up to 19th. Uh, you know, with a little more thought, I think I would have probably had them ahead of a team like Miami that hasn't had a chance to play any games. And Miami went up by default just because I was struggling to find teams uh, in that range to move up. Uh, some interesting ones this week. I mean, Georgia uh, plays Mississippi State. That's two teams in the, that I have in the teens. Uh, we'll see who moves up from that. You know, Virginia Tech's at 13th. That's a team with some upward mobility, though. Uh, Florida State, I still have them at 10th. I don't know quite to do what to do with them at this point. Uh, a lot of people get on my case, but I had Ohio State. Uh, let's see here. Had them eighth. I have Florida State 10th. People are like, well, what have they done to warrant that position? It's like. There is still some projection in these rankings yeah. at this point. It's not just completely based on merit. Like, you know, if it was completely based on what they've done this season, you know, Cal would be ranked. I don't think Cal is that good of a team. They've just beaten some teams that aren't uh, really hitting on all cylinders this year. Uh, so, you know, there's still some projection in this. I would imagine that would fade away by week five or six. Uh, at this point of the season, it's still a lot what I think they're capable of doing. Uh, we'll see if that holds up, but uh, sooner or later it's going to be just purely merit-based, and uh, I will go on what they've done this season. Going back to that one where you should resign or both, uh, is there anything worse than a form tweet? I mean, that's even worse than a form letter, right? Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> it got a, a bunch of Vanderbilt fans like like the tweet, though. They were like, that's right! Anchor down! <laughs> So, you know, Vanderbilt is an improved team. I will give them that. They beat Kansas State at home last week, and I think it's like their first not victory against a non-conference team that's ranked since like 1940 or something like that. So they're justifiably very excited about their team. But I had Kansas State ranked last week, and I did not feel great about it. They kept beating cupcakes. I'm like, I don't really know if Kansas State's any good. And I think this is more a fact that maybe Kansas State was not that good. Uh, you know, kudos to Vanderbilt for being a much improved team. That defense is ridiculous this year. I want to see if they can give Alabama a fight this week. And if they do... You know, I might consider putting Vanderbilt in the poll, even if they lose a, a, a game to a team that I have ranked number one right now. Are you starting to feel powerful? Yes, all powerful. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you do something this week. I might actually show me a- something. <laughs> 
peasants. Maybe I'll put you in my <laughs> rankings of teams. You get that's that's what Berman does. I booted them out. He, he does the same thing you do with the basketball pole, and he says I booted them out this week, and he's just like that'll that'll <laughs> serve him right. That'll show him. Well, I will say it's an interesting sort of debate at the top of the pole. I saw a lot of people this week. Is like Clemson is by far and away the best team in the country, and I'm like, are we sure? Like they've been very good. Like I, I think. Any one of the three, Alabama, Oklahoma, or Clemson right now, could be the number one team in the country. Yeah, I guess my Baker Mayfield punchable face stuff, probably. Well, I think people are like, well, Clemson beat Auburn and then did it on the road against Louisville. And those are both teams that were in the teens when they beat them. Alabama beat you know number three Florida State at the time that had its quarterback and beat them pretty bad in the opener. Uh, Oklahoma went on the road and beat an Ohio State team that everybody was high on before the season. I know they haven't looked exactly the sharpest this year, but I think Ohio State's going to be a pretty good team when all said and done at the end of the year. I don't know how to differentiate those three things. I, I think if you want to say who had the best win, I think Alabama still has the best win of those three. Or maybe Oklahoma on the road because it was, it was a road game. I, it, like, it, I feel like Clemson is sort of the flavor of the week because they had the Auburn game and then the dominant performance against Louisville. But – I wouldn't say that Auburn or Louisville are better teams than Florida State or Ohio State in terms right. of quality of win. So and this will all play itself out over time, but uh, right now I kept the same top three with Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson. Last but not least, I saw that you tweeted a picture of your daughter watching practice, taking some notes. Emily was there. How did that go? Well, my wife had to work late yesterday, and daycare is only open till 6, so they had some post-practice interviews, and I had to take her – uh, she was pretty shy at first. She started opening up. Uh, she was pretty good in the first interview. Ricky Walker was there, and we were all kind of huddled around him. And Trayvon McMillan was waiting, and she was kind of like playing around with him. He like held up her little Elmo doll, her little Grover doll, and stuff like that. Uh, then Trayvon got up to talk, and I had my digital recorder, and I was holding her, and I had the recorder. And she wanted to hold the digital recorder more than life itself. And I'm like, I, I need to like keep this here for her. And she just started screaming. It was a disaster. It was just like, oh, man, this is what I wanted to avoid. I had to hand off the recorder to Mike Barber. And then I had to take her in the other room. She was like crying. It was like she was the worst thing in the world that she couldn't have this digital recorder. Uh, so she only threw one tantrum. Uh, I actually just gave her the digital recorder to play with for the third interview. And I got some other guy to send me the, the audio of the recording. Uh, so one tantrum in three interviews, uh, that's, you know, it's, that's sort of what Barber does in the course of three interviews to throw one tantrum. So I think that's okay. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good ratio. I'm just joking, Mike. Uh, you know, just joking there. Uh, she was pretty good all said and done. Only one meltdown. Well, she's a little too young to make a Michelle Tanner like bone moth, right? She can't just, you look like Rambo. Yeah, she hasn't, like she hasn't said that now. She doesn't, doesn't say that. <laughs> okay. we got to work on a catchphrase. All right, well, she's growing up fast, and uh, this season's getting serious in a hurry. Uh, we'll break down the Clemson matchup next week, and we'll talk about whatever happens on Saturday against ODU. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. Thanks for joining us.